Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC 269. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on the by the power of Zoom by Cody Safdick. 15 fights, a lot of great fights on this card. It's a good time to be an MMA fan. Second last card of the year. So we got to make some money now. You know, fill our stockings with joy as we head into the little month-long break there, Cody. Absolutely. I mean, last week's car we knew it was going to be very difficult. It looked like it was just going to be Dog City right across the way. And we had some success with some dogs. We had a Jamahal Hill. We had Jose Aldo, of course, courtesy Action Man uh, Curtis. So it was a good dog card. This card, it feels like there's a lot more chalky favorites, but it does appear that there's a couple trap lines here and there as well. So with 15 fights, you don't got to overexert yourself. You don't got to try to force anything. Uh, we can knock off the ones that we're really not certain about or the ones that don't have any value. But at the end of the day, I think we'll be able to put a couple good tickets together. Yes, sir. Yeah, I had uh, thank you, thanks to you for the for the action man coming through. Hill was a action nice man. little dog that hit, and then I still have my ticket for Jeremiah Wells at plus one seventy against uh, against Jake Matthews. Matthews. It's still lingering, and they're offering me a full cash out, but at plus one seventy, it's just like, no, I'll wait, I'll wait, see if they rebook this thing. I don't think I'm going to get that plus one seventy, so I'm not taking my money back yet. You're gonna yeah, have don't to. Don't give me my money back. Don't pal. give me my money back yet, but I I like that plus one seventy on that fight there. All right, but let's get into this week's fights. I mean, main event. It doesn't get much better than the lightweight championship when it's on the line. Dustin Poirier taking on Charles Dobronx Oliveira minus one sixty Poirier plus one forty Oliveira. Who you got here, bud? Honestly, my heart's telling me Charles Oliveira. My head tells me Dustin Poirier. And I'm the kind of guy that usually leans towards my heart. But when you look at Dustin Poirier, my God, he's almost the perfect fighter, right? He can do it all. He can wrestle. He can strike. He's got great durability. He's got five-round cardio. He's got heart for days. He's faced an elite level of experience. But you got to break it down to the fact that he's the minus 165 favorite. So what has he done for me recently? And in his case, he's got back-to-back fights with Conor McGregor. How much can we take away from those fights as opposed to fighting other top guys in the division. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not taking away anything against Conor McGregor, but you're not taking on an elite-level fighter. You're taking on an elite-level showman, and you're getting paid a bunch of money, and there's a bunch of hype, and there's a bunch of spectacle, and you go out there, and you exchange words, and there's a heated moment. You get paid a boatload of cash, and you get out of there. But you're not fighting the top guys necessarily. Going back to the last time he fought, maybe say even a top five, top ten guy would be the fight prior with Dan Hooker. He looks bad in that fight, Paul. Certainly the first two rounds, Dan Hooker's all over him. But once you know it, Dan Hooker, a non-wrestler, a non-grappler, you know, a fantastic rangy striker, takes him down four times. That is actually a career best amount of takedowns for Dan Hooker in a fight. Because let's face it, Dan Hooker's never taken down anybody four times in a fight. And yet he takes down Dustin Poirier. You roll it back one fight prior, no shame in this one. Habib Nurmagomedov. The slight shame in this one is that uh, Dustin Poirier gets taken down seven times on eight attempts, right? When you look at Habib traditionally, that's the highest. I think it's an 87% takedown ratio. Highest he's ever had against anybody. He uh, Against Conor McGregor, lower. Ally Kinta, lower. Barbosa, lower. Michael Johnson, lower. Daryl Horcher, lower. Rafael Dos Anjos, lower. Pat Healy, lower. Abel Trujillo, took him down 21 times in 27 attempts. Still a lower percentage. 7 of 81 on Dustin Poirier. So here begs the question, when you're Dustin Poirier, when was the last time he's taken on elite-level wrestlers or grapplers? And when he has, he struggled. No doubt about it, he can stand and bang. No doubt about it, he can have an exciting fight. But there's also a large probability if this thing hits the ground that he's kind of fish out of water. 
in Charles' case, his wrestling's tight, man, tight. You saw what he did to Tony Ferguson, absolutely neutralize him. Mm -hmm. Jiu-Jitsu is really high level. Beyond that, I mean, the Michael Chandler fight scores two knockdowns on Chandler and knocks him out completely. Now, you see what Chandler went through against Justin Gaethje. Like, this guy's tough. This guy's durable. And so that makes it, oh, shit. Dustin Poirier is that complete package. Ooh. Chucky O, the complete package too. The guy can do it all. It, there used to be a time where we questioned his heart time and time again. Man, he just doesn't have the heart. You know, when the going gets tough, Charles Oliveira is just not quite there anymore. He's on a nine-fight winning streak against elite-level guys. Mm -hmm. And that last fight against Chandler, oh, yes, yeah. he does win. Yes, he does score the knockdowns. But Christ, he had to come through, overcome some adversity in that one as yeah, well. You gotta, so. you gotta throw that out. He can strike. He can wrestle. He can grapple. It seems like his cardio is good. He's in an excellent place right now. And I mean, he's a horse racing guy. So, I mean, I got to go with Charles Oliveira. They're giving you plus 145. It's good dog money. At the end of the day, if I, he's not a top ticket play, but if for whatever reason he was to end up on the top ticket, we're looking to hedge at the end of it. But uh, I, I got to go with dog in the main event. And I know it could be a bad idea. Wake up Sunday morning. How could you go against Dustin Poirier? And, oh, Charles Oliveira let me down again. But I, I think a part of what makes Dustin Poirier Dustin Poirier is he's just bat these stand-up battles. It's the same thing with Tony Ferguson, right? It's these crazy stand-up battles. And then when you fight a guy that's capable of neutralizing you, all of a sudden there is no brawl. All of a sudden there is no crazy wild exchange that you dropped him in the fourth. It's just like you're on your back. You know, if you if you if you try to scramble, he's just man, Charles Oliver on your back, you know, body trying, you're not going anywhere. Charles Oliver on top. There was a time he might quit a little bit, like the Paul Felder fight, but like I said, man. He's done an excellent job since then. So I got to go. I got to go to Bronx, Charles Oliveira in the main event. Yeah, I don't know what else you can really. I don't know if you left me very much meat on the bone to add to this, but I'm actually leaning towards uh, Charles Oliveira as well. I mean, I, I see some plus 300s out there. Charles Oliveira by submission. That has my attention. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get there, but that definitely has my attention. If Charles is able to get it to the ground, I mean. God, has anybody ever had as dynamic jujitsu as Charles Oliveira? I, I don't think so. Like that that little UFC dropped like that thread of like his 17 finishes. It's just it's just pure filth. The guy is so incredibly talented. And then yeah, like just to add on to what you said about Chandler, that was always the thing after the Max Holloway fight. Oh, is this guy a little bit questionable? Like, you know, does he not have the heart? And it's just like, man, he had ample opportunity to say no mas against Michael Chandler, and he did not. He kept gunning forward, obviously did not get a submission there, finished the job by uh, by knockout. But um, Charles Oliveira, plus 140. I think it's 50-50 at, at worst, or maybe Charles should be like, maybe this line should be flipped. Like, Charles has made such improvements. He's definitely in the prime of his career right now. I think the Dustin Poirier and, like, the McGregor lovers are going to hate this, but, like, I think Dustin Poirier's line is inflated by the fact that he has two wins over a shot Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, I don't expect to do very much at, at this division or whatever he does when he comes back. I don't really... Uh, I think we had seen the fall of him. I don't think we're going to see a resurgence to the top, like getting an actual legitimate belt where everyone thinks that he's the number one guy in the world. I think those days are over. And I think Dustin Poirier's line is reflective of two wins over Conor McGregor. Casual money looks at him and goes, why? And he beat, he beat Conor McGregor two times in a row. Um, yeah, it's, it's still Bronx or pass as far as I'm concerned. So glad, glad to hear we're on the same page. 
and I think we're going to be in, on the same page. <laughs> I was just going to use that line, too. <laughs> in the co-main event, Amanda Nunez, minus 900, takes on Juliana Pena, could be had for plus 600. Uh, this is the first leg of my um, my laser-guided heat-seeking missile bet, Cody. Nunez oh, inside the Max distance, guy. minus 300. I mean, you'll watch Juliana Pena hitting pads on Instagram and, and different videos that surface. I don't think it's going to be very nice for her <laughs> up there. Juliana Pena got submitted by Jermaine Ger- uh, Durandamy. Um, so even like her game plan is what? Take this fight to the mat? Well, when she's down there, she's live to get subbed by Amanda Nunez, who's an who's a excellent grappler on the mat as well. I think as I, I think she, Amanda Nunez probably bombs on her, probably finishes her in round one. But Pena is tough, but uh, this is a mismatch. And frankly, I was telling uh, producer Matt about this earlier. Like we're used to like seeing on. On uh, Bellator cards, on PFL cards, we're used to seeing like these types of situations. Uh, Kayla Harrison, when she fights these types of fights, uh, I guess Kayla Harrison has like a little bit easier fights than than a Juliana Pena, but she she would be like minus two thousand. This would be minus two thousand, minus three thousand if it was on one of those other promotions. So, as far as I'm concerned, I think minus nine hundreds actually value for Amanda Nunez like I, we're we're kind of just fading Nunez getting injured as far as I'm concerned like she has her covered literally at all bases so inside the distance minus 300 let me check to see what it is on a DraftKings Sportsbook right now uh do on DraftKings Sportsbook Nunez god damn it wrong wrong tab Nunez inside the distance on DraftKings Sportsbook is minus 350. So it's starting to move in some spots, but I still think it's a great parlay leg. Um, She has her covered everywhere. Like, I really don't see a path to victory for Juliana Pena here. So, yeah, no shocker. Amanda Nunez retains. Yeah, yeah, no no, no shocker there. What was the uh, Amanda Nunez by submission out of curiosity? Nunez by submission plus three fifty. There is plus four fifty to be had out there, but but yeah, yeah. Juliana Payne has never cleanly been knocked out. She shows a TKO loss on her record from like oh man, a decade ago against Sarah Moras, I think. But it was a doctor stoppage after two rounds, so she's never actually been knocked out. But yeah, you do see in the UFC like once the getting gets tough and she gets tired, she gives up the submission. And the Valentina Shevchenko fight, she was winning when she got submitted. And the Jermaine Durandamy fight, she was in it, you know. She won that third round, she would have won the fight, and she got submitted. So, yeah, I think she's just got, like, a bit of a mental lapse now. Juliana Pena, theoretically, has got the tools to not win this fight. But when you consider about who are the other girls at 135 that can, that can wrestle, that can grapple, that are, like, big, physical, grind you up. Juliana Pena was one of them. There was a time. The uh, Jessica I fight, she took Jessica I down three times. It was a good victory. The Kat Zingano fight, terrible fight, but she took Kat Zingano down twice. She was able to largely secure top position and in the end win the fight. This girl could grapple. Now she gets the Valentina Shevchenko fight. You remember that fight. She won the first round. It was like, oh, man, she is big. She is strong. She's rugged. She is aggressive. Then she gets caught in an armbar from guard, essentially, in the second round. And uh, boom, that was it. She took some time off. She healed some injuries. She had a kid. 
the girl, the version of her that's come back since, not the same, not the same. The first fight was Nico Montano. I gave her a pass because it was like, what, a three-year long layoff? But we, the Nico Montano is a flyweight. Well, I guess you can't make flyweight, so fair enough. But she struggled mightily to take her down. She has no real good, strong top control. The next fight against Jermaine Durand, I mean, this is a multiple-time kickboxing champion. Like, the game plan should have been set in stone right from the get-go. Do not stand with her. Go out there, press her into the cage, take her down. Stood with her, made no sense, lost the striking battles, clinched her up against the cage, still lost the clinch battle, and then largely unable to take her down, and then gets submitted in the third round. Like, talk about a bad look top to bottom. And then the Sarah McMahon fight, well, she got taken down three times. She did not look particularly good, but ooh, here's the thing. Sarah McMahon's got this also tendency that when she gets tired, she looks for a way out. So she's able to uh, take out Sarah McMahon, but... When you're Amanda Nunez and you're the GOAT and you've already cleared out the division, the same thing happens with John Jones. Why is John Jones fighting OSP? Why is he fighting Anthony Smith? Why is he fight why is he fighting a large majority of the even Tiago Santos? Like, why did he fight those guys? Well, quite honestly, there's only one Daniel Cormier and he beat him twice. And Alexander Gustafson, we forced a rematch there, even though Gus was definitely not the same guy. But like all the good scenarios were warped. So it's like, okay, let's just run some some shitty fights because you have nothing in the in-between. That's Amanda Nunez. There's just nobody else for her to fight. So they have to line up somebody. And uh, unfortunately, this is just the latest victim. So I dig where your head's at on the inside the distance. Like, I just don't know that Juliana Pena is going to take 25 minutes of this assault. And with Amanda Nunez, I have questioned, like, uh, how do you stay motivated? You know, now she's got her own kid, you know, her and Nina. Uh, she's won millions of dollars. She's cleared out the division. She's known as the bonafide goat, no questions asked. How do you stay motivated? But she does. <laughs> because if you watch the, that last fight with Megan Anderson, even the fight with Felicia Spencer, like she's not playing patty cake in there. Like she's, she's, she's coming for war and uh, she's capable of doing it. So I got to agree with you. I'll probably take, we'll definitely have Amanda Nunez, but I suppose if you're trying to sweeten up the line, you're probably going to go with the inside the distance. I got a feeling it's going to be a submission rather than a TKO. But I mean, who knows? Depends what kind of version Juliana Pena comes in. Yeah. And like, if Pena is even able to get it to the ground, if she gets it to the ground. That's where she probably gets submitted. If she just, I mean, if she's not able to get the takedown, she's going to get boxed right does. up on the feet. Yeah, I, I mean, we said the same thing about Spencer in fairness. So, you know, the laser guided heat seeking missile bat could have some struggles if, uh, if she shows up with, you know, Spencer level durability. So that, that, I guess that is. That is the risk, but it gets you from minus 900 down to minus 300 on that uh, on that parlay leg. All right, next up, we got Santiago Ponzinibbio taking on Jeff Neal. Minus 130 Ponzinibbio, plus 110 Neal. This was like a pick about like two <laughs> weeks ago, and then Neal surfaces with, you know, he got caught with a, or a DUI and potentially, allegedly... A uh, like an un unregistered weapon. I don't know all the details of it, but uh, so money has been coming in on Santiago Ponzinibbio. I don't know. Ponzinibbio hasn't exactly the fight with Baeza was very, very, very competitive, um, very, very close. And Ponzinibbio definitely, you know, veteraned him in the last in the last round, kind of took over and, and stole the fight. And then going out and seeing Baeza, you know, getting finished round three against Chaos Williams kind of makes you think. It's like, I don't know. Is Ponzinibbio's win over Baeza all that uh, impressive? 
getting knocked out off of a massive layoff against against Jingliang Li. Kind of raises some eyebrows as well. As this line moves away, I think Santiago Ponzinibbio, if he doesn't get knocked out, he probably wins this on volume. Jeff Neal getting out-volumed and boxed up by Stephen Wonderboy. Thompson getting taken down, controlled, and out-volumed by Neil Magny. The story of Jeff Neal's career is the volume just isn't there. He needs to get a knockout. Luckily for his sake, it's not complete. He's not completely drawing dead with the with the Jingliang Li knockout of Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio, obviously, as I said earlier, was a little bit banged up coming into that. He hadn't fought in two years, so maybe that wasn't the best of him. But I wasn't overly impressed by what I saw against Miguel Baeza, so I don't think it's a stone in lock that uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Is going. I mean, yeah, I guess it's minus 130, but people are really flooding to this line. And I'm not going to be shocked if Jeff Neal lands a big a big left on that chin, gets the knockout, and, uh, you know, he's got some upcoming problems that are going to need some manis. So um, I'll lean towards Ponzinibbio on volume, but not a fight that I'm overly confident in. What about you? Yeah, so I'm interested in the underdog shot here, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that him getting arrested for a DUI, a Dewey, and uh, having an unregistered firearm in the vehicle wasn't at least a little bit concerning. The firearm part, who cares, whatever. He, he has a gun, he has a gun. He's not shooting anybody with it. That doesn't matter. The, the fact that you're in camp getting ready for a big fight in your out drinking. drinking, driving, like that that would be the bigger, bigger concern because Jeff Neal, for as talented as he is, uh, first career loss against Martin Sano. <laughs> yeah, you remember him? He fought in the UFC. <laughs> but he gets submitted in the third round. It's like, ooh, okay. He gasses out. He gets submitted in the third round. The second career defeat against Kevin Holland, if you've ever seen that fight. I know you have, but for anybody else. Uh, man, he got gassed out huge in that third round. Ends up getting TKO by Kevin Holland. When you look at both of his last two losses, and now with two UFC losses against Neil Magny and Stephen Thompson, I think once again that there's a there's a continuous theme here that he just gets unmotivated the longer the fight goes. His volume does completely fall off. He gets gassed out, and that's where he becomes vulnerable. The Stephen Wonderboy-Thompson fight was particularly concerning because, uh, well, first of all, he was supposed to be a big thing. I mean, we got did we get Wonderboy for dog money there? We got Wonderboy for dog money in that spot. Like, I decent remember size dog, dog money. money. They're, they're saying it was even here, but maybe there was like a late flood. I don't know. But... Yeah, the whole thing there was that he doesn't have volume and he's a straightforward type brawler. But the concerning thing was between rounds when his corner is just like, Jeff, you got to get going. He's just disconnected with the situation as if he's already accepted after two or three rounds. They're just like, yeah, I'm done. The rounds would end and he'd just like tap Wonderboy like, cool, man, you're kicking my ass. Like there was just no urgency. And then the next fight with Neil Magny, it's much of the same. However, when you look at Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, it's a frustrating matchup because he just darts in and out so well. He moves laterally extremely well. But Neil Magny, he's a very frustrating matchup. He has a, just a killer long reach, and he fights very long, but he also moves very well laterally. And if you ever try to get make it a brawl, he just smothers you up against the cage. You know, he's got excellent grappling of his own. Mm-hmm. Those type of matchups are frustrating and are difficult for Jeff Neal. Guys that want to stand in front of him and want to take his punches, that that usually doesn't work out. Consider that Bilal Muhammad fight. He knocked him down twice. Bilal Muhammad's got a hell of a chin, dude. And he drops him twice. Like, a very nice performance. The Nico Price fight, again, Nico Price, another guy that has a hell of a chin, but he knocks him out in the second round. Decent volume in that one, lands 40 through two rounds. And then the Mike Perry fight. Well, Mike Perry's quite literally made an entire career on one thing and one thing alone, Paul, his chin, right? 
but Jeff Neal just smashes right through him. So I think that's my problem with Santiago Pontanimbio. As talented as he is, he likes to brawl a little bit. He likes to get in your face a little bit. Coming off his own layoff, he got right in the pocket with Jing Liang Li, and as you mentioned, he got knocked out. But that next fight with Beza, Beza lands 104 significant strikes on him. It's a career high for Beza, by the way, like by 40 or something. Because, because Ponzinibbio forces you to fight because he stays in your face. He brings the fight to Jeff Neal. That's more suited to Neal's style. Not chasing a guy around the ring and getting outboxed from the outside, which is what Magni and Wonderboy were able to do. So I think Neal is a live dog. But then again, if you want to talk about the narrative side of things, yeah, maybe not. Now, last week we talked, not heavily, but we talked about uh, Cheyenne Vlizmas and the narrative there that, oh, she just had COVID and she's got a not a respirator, but she got a, an inhaler in the UFC you know, sent her to some doctor and it, it did not affect her in the slightest bit. She looked career best. She fought 15 minutes, zero problem. Wasn't even huffing and puffing at all. So the narrative here might be much of the same. It might just be smoke in the air. The guy needed a little stress release. He had a couple beers. Who gives a shit? We don't know the full story. Yeah. We don't know how, there could, like there, how many there could drinks. Be, yeah. Had. There could be more to it as well. We don't know any of that stuff. So where it was a live underdog and it probably still is a live underdog. I don't know. I don't know. Then again, if you're him and you just got this publicly in the, uh, in the papers and the news and distraction. you're on a two fight losing streak, like he probably knows I need to show up and do something or my job could be on the line. Mm-hmm. Maybe he shows up willing to fight. You know, you back a dog into a corner. That's when he's most dangerous. Maybe he's that guy, but 15 fights. If you want to pass on one that could be greasy, this one's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. Could be greasy though. 100%. All right, we got Cody Garbrandt taking on Kai Kara France. Cody Garbrandt is a minus 135 favorite. Kai Kara France can be had for plus 115. Pretty stunned, to be perfectly honest, Cody, by this line. Um, I mean, if you told me years ago that Cody Garbrandt would take on Kai Kara France at 125 pounds after, you know, after fighting like Dominic Cruz... And then it would be minus 135 plus 115. I'd be like, hide your kids, hide your wife, and put everything you have on Cody Garbrandt. But obviously, you know, his story has changed over the years. Um, props to him against Rob Font, though. It's like he took a lot of shots, was able to survive. Um, uh, he lost, and he got out volume pretty significantly. But... Not getting finished there shows that maybe the chin isn't as much of a problem um, as we are as we are thinking. But that you know, uh, with him, obviously, we got to see how he how he gets down to 125 pounds here. That's that's step one before you even consider any sort of bet on Cody Garbrandt. The chin has never been has never been great. Is it going to be better with uh, an extra 10 pounds cooked off of him? Probably not. But I'm not gonna lie, man. I find it hard. Like, Cody Garbrandt is super, super talented, super, super slick. He's got better wrestling, clearly, than Kai Kara France. He's, he's got all of those skills that if he if he shows up on the scales, he looks half decent. I'm going to probably put some money on Cody Garbrandt, to be perfectly honest. Like, he's faster. He's uh, Kai Kara France is a hard-hitting 125-pounder. Um, is he? Could, he knocked out his last opponent, but prior to that, he wasn't really... Hard hitting. Yeah. Um, he's, 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 well, exactly. He's got some, he's got some knockouts on his career or in his career. And, uh, and yeah, he's, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like on, like earlier on in his career, he was a bit of a finisher, but he's fighting complete bums on the regional scene. Um, I think he's been like marketed as being a hard hitting 125 pounder. 
I think it's a I think it's a good matchup for Cody Garbrandt. I don't understand why everyone's piling on to uh, Kai Kara France. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, no, dude. I honestly, I feel you. I feel you in the sense that you've got a world class guy at 135 pounds, a former world champion, coming down to 125, and I think this is the weight class he should have been at all along. Like when you look at him in comparison to a lot of the other guys at 135, and it's Murderers Row at bantamweight. Let's be real. A lot of them are big, thick guys. Like you know, considering they're five foot six for the most part, they're they're, they're like thick, solid guys. Garbrandt seemed like he was a little bit undersized, but what he made up, what, what he lacked. And I guess size, he made up for in power. He's got slick boxing. He's got excellent power. And then, unfortunately, his chin was an issue. Now him dropping down to 125, it poses two problems. One, if he has any type of bad weight cut at all, and you might not be able to tell just seeing him on the scale, but just to drain yourself out that extra 10 pounds, eh, you know what I mean? His chin could be even more compromised. His ability to take damage could be even more compromised. Beyond that, I mean, after he beat Dominic Cruz, he complained routinely about a bad back. He always complained about complain about a bad back he's got a bad back bad back pull out of a number of fights you know not quite healthy not quite ready i don't know that hurting your body and going through some drastic weight cut to come down to weight class is always the answer so you know a little bit of a question mark there and then you talked about jeff neal and jeff neal's volume so that's kind of my 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 problem with cody garbrandt i have a trouble gauging how good his volume really is the rob font fight sure it's rob font but he only lands 63 significant strikes the course of 25 but you know Fawn has such a long reach on him you give him a pass there the half hour sunset fight you watch that one back he doesn't look good doesn't look good at all in fact he looks hurt in the first round uh, and eventually he's able to go out there and knock out half hour sunset so it's a low volume fight but the results there he gets the knockout the pedro muñoz fight uh, he gets knocked out in the first round the tj dillashaw fight he's knocked out in the first round the tj dillashaw fight the first time knocked out in the second round they're all low volume, but even when he beat Dominic Cruz, he got outstruck 88 to 68 against Dominic Cruz over the course of 25. The difference was, similar to how you saw Jose Aldo this weekend, he hurt him, he dropped him, he dropped Cruz twice. Like That ended up being the difference maker, but his volume's low. It's always been low. And so Kaikara France is able to go out there and put up 80, 90 significant strikes. That becomes the one worry. If Cody Garbrandt doesn't just knock him out, then he's forced to fight him for 15 minutes. And over the course of 15 minutes, he seems to have low output in all of his fights. Either he knocks you out or he racks up low output over the course of 15. Kaikara France, uh, he did get hurt big time. Uh, what was his fight? Against Brandon Royval. He got hurt twice against Brandon Royval and got dropped. Eventually ends up getting submitted by the guillotine show. So I'm not saying Cody Garbrandt can't knock him out. I'm not saying if he doesn't knock him out, this thing's probably going to end up being greasy because of the volume, because of the numbers. Low-key, though, one path of victory for Cody Garbrandt would be the takedowns because he never uses his wrestling, almost ever. So people forget that, A, he is actually a decent wrestler. He's a two-time state champion. And, B, he's out of Team Alpha Male, a team that's just got a plethora of solid wrestlers. Why not use it? The Rob Font fight, he did take Font down. He took him down three times with nice takedowns as well. No top control, no ability to hold him down. But again, now that he's coming down to 125 and taking on a much smaller guy in Kaikara France, the wrestling could be back on the table. It's just, I got a bad gut feeling that if this thing goes a full 15 minutes, it's going to end up being closer than it should be. And at minus 135, it's priced accordingly good. You know, if it was minus 165, I'd be telling you trap line, trap line. Now it looks good enough that I'm interested in potentially taking a poke. But I realize that there's inverted risk and I just can't make a consciously good decision until I see him on the way on the scales, like yeah. you mentioned. And even then, you know, it's kind of still of a dart throw. Yep. That makes sense. Um, I mean, yeah, those, those weigh-ins for him getting down to 125 pounds are really everything here. 
All right, moving on down, we got Sugar Sean O'Malley taking on Howley and Pava. Minus 310 O'Malley, plus 245 Pava. Who you got here, bud? Yeah, I think it's just the trap line. Uh, you know how you were talking earlier about the Dustin Poirier, and I think part of the line is that he's got two wins over Conor McGregor. I think that's what you get with Sean O'Malley. Is that he talks an excellent game. He's got a pretty good following. And undefeated, right? He's undefeated mentality. Uh, I think all of those reasons, people just get behind the guy, and you're going to end up paying some prices that are a little bit too big. And you look at how he loses fights. I mean, you know, when we talk, we've always talked about banana peel pricing, right? Banana peel price, banana peel pricing. Well, what's that? Well, how could Amanda Nunez ever lose to Juliana Pena? What if she was to slip on a banana peel? It's just a metaphorical way of saying that something bad could just go out there and happen. In O'Malley's case, it's already happened to him a couple of times. So whenever he's a big favorite, at the back of your mind, there's always that, what if he gets calf kicked? What if he just rolls his ankle again? What if he's, these little chicken legs give out on him? Second of all, this Chris Moutinho fight, right? So he's supposed to take on Louis Smolka, which, as we saw from last past weekend, O'Malley probably would have looked pretty good against Smolka. But he gets Chris Moutinho, and he comes in as a minus 1,000 favorite. And the result is, after first round where he just absolutely killed Moutinho, I thought, in the first. Second and the third is much of O'Malley kicking his ass still, but the guy's coming forward. The guy's pressuring. This guy's short notice. Didn't look like he had the UFC skills to begin with. We'll see how he does that in his next fight. But he was just like a dude taken off the bench, the far end of the bench, on like a day's notice to fight O'Malley. He's a 10-to-1 underdog, and he scrapped him. He had actually a decent fight. He landed some decent punches. Well, I mean, and the so strike, strike count was 230 oh, yeah. to 70. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. <laughs> no, no. You're, uh, you're right. It's not competitive in the slightest bit. He does not. Does he? What was the third round strike count? It doesn't even matter. You're right. Because he just touch and go the entire time. He beats him up. The first round I thought was 80, by far. 83 his best to round. 27. 77 yeah, to 24 in the it. first round. 70 to 19 in the second right. round. 83 to 27. So, like, he proved, at least in that fight, that he can throw an obscene amount of strikes in 15 minutes if he has to, which it was a really low-level opponent. We had seen uh, Moutinho knocked out on the regional scene against much lesser, in theory, talents. Um, Everyone was shocked that Moutinho was able to survive until, you know, the last, the dying seconds of the fight. But... It wasn't, uh, yeah. I mean, O'Malley's super, super slick. He's super, super talented. But Pava's Pava's a dog, man. Like he's that's the worry. He he's not going away. He is a much better version of Chris Moutinho. And I mean, he he broke my damn heart against uh, Kyler Phillips. So, I mean, I still think that that was a draw, but. <laughs> Um, Pava got the decision. It is what it is, but he showed that he can get absolutely trounced in round one and he's coming back harder in round two. So I, I don't think Moutinho was able to come back after the amount of damage he was taking earlier on in that fight. Pava showed that he can, he can eat those big shots. He can come. So I think I agree with you. I think that this is a very dangerous fight for Sean O'Malley and minus three ten doesn't really lead one to believe that it is a tough fight. Yeah, that's ultimately, I think that's the issue that it comes down to is that he's just, a, it's a balloon price. I There's two ways that this could go. Sean O'Malley could go out there and knock him out in the very first round, and it's a justified price tag. Everyone says how good he is. Kyler Phillips, this close to knocking him out in the first round. This close to saying, wow, Kyler Phillips is a legitimate prospect. But similar to O'Malley, 
Dude is supremely talented, but his cardio drops off a little bit, ever so slightly. And that's what allowed Pava to work his way back in. O'Malley, you're right. His volume actually held up pretty good over the course of the three rounds. He's just landing, 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 landing. Yes, Moutinho was able to have a little bit of success, but just not nearly enough, right? Pava could have similar success. Not nearly going to be enough standing, right? I guess the one X factor would be William Pava's wrestling because he's actually at Team Alpha Male now. He's been there for like a year and a half, and he's been working a lot on his wrestling. And I think with Sean O'Malley, especially how you see, you know, his game off his back in the Marlon Vera fight, well, his leg was probably compromised, but even then, just his overall game off his back, at least in that one fight, that would be the way I would approach this. I don't know if I want to stand and bang with a guy that's got that much kind of just distance control, sharp punches down the middle, the volume. Wrestle this guy, right? Well, regardless, because I'm more of a parlay guy myself, I am going to have to play Sean O'Malley. I just don't know that he's a top-ticket guy, even though he's got top-ticket pricing. And uh, as far as if I would wanted to improve this, I don't know. I think he could knock out Pave in the first round. The worry is if he doesn't, Pava is a junkyard dog. He does make things interesting. He is a fairly tough guy overall. So, yeah, the pick is O'Malley. Just, I just don't love the price, is all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that all makes sense. I was just looking at the props here. O'Malley decision is plus 215, plus 110 is uh, him by knockout. I mean, you're probably forced to play the money line if you're playing uh, O'Malley because I can't really decide between the two of them. No. No, that's 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 the uh, tight question here. That's the tight question there. All right, let's let's move on to the next one. We got some tight questions in this one. We got uh, mm. jo- Josh Emmett taking on Dan Ige, minus one sixty five. Josh Emmett plus one forty five can be had for Dan- Dynamite Dan Ige. Um, Emmett's what? He's he's got the most obscene stats you've ever seen in your life. Like knock down machine it's got to be up there in terms of like some of the 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 best two knockdowns versus shane burgo shane burgos one knockdown against mersad bekdich one knockdown against michael johnson one against llamas four against felipe aranches guys got power in those hands but the problem is dan has a chin um this is a very very interesting fight um, uh, and I think it's another, another situation where the bigger, better, more powerful strikes are going to be landed by Josh Emmett. That's what he does in all of his fights. Uh, the, the higher amplitude of volume probably comes from Dan Ige and his chin has been like, he's only been knocked down once. It was against, Dan, uh, Edson Barbosa guy's got a chin. He's durable as hell. He's got no quit in him. I think it's a. I think this is closer to a pick'em fight than it is to minus one sixty five plus one forty five. I think Emmett was like minus one ninety the other day, so maybe people are starting to take the shot on the dog Dan Ige, and I can't really fault them. I think it's. I think it's a close fight. I would line it as a pick'em. So plus one forty five is the value side, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to agree. I want to agree. Danny Gay is my guy, but Danny Gay is starting to cost me some money because I always think he's going to do a little bit better than he actually ends up doing. I mean, the Barbosa fight, did he win that fight, Paul? Did he win that fight? Because it was really close. I suppose there is an argument that he did, but there's definitely an argument that he lost. And then I backed him in the Calvin Cater spot. Uh, man, the Boston cartel was all over me on that one. But Calvin Cater ripped him apart, like far superior boxing technique. And beyond that, it's like Danny Ige's got a willingness to get hit, but he doesn't seemingly have like the power to return fire and get your, their respect. The very next fighting to Gavin Tucker, 
What are you talking about no power? He knocks him out in 22 seconds. Like, it's a career-best performance. Such a good performance that I end up buying into. He's a live underdog against Chang Sung Jung, and he wasn't. And what you notice in the Calvin Cater fight and the Chang Sung Jung fight is elite-level strikers that have big power. They tend to really sting him. They tend to land, like you said, the more meaningful shots. He's got good volume. He's got good heart. But he, he's just, in pure striking battles, he's not doing as good. Now, his wrestling's kind of always been in his back pocket. Decent Hawaiian wrestler, trains out extreme couture. Maybe he's able to change the course of a fight, take it to the ground, use some of his grappling. BJJ black belt, why not? But again, when you look at him versus elite-level opponents, his wrestling's not there. He's not getting these guys down. His grappling's really non-factor for the most part. And so, yeah, I think that he's going to try to back up Josh Emmett, but it's very hard for people to do so, to pressure him, just because he's got so much dynamite in both hands. Backs him up. He's got the wrestling. The one thing here is Josh Emmett, 36 years old, coming off a year and a half long layoff. So remember when he fought, um, he fought Jeremy Stevens, okay? He got knocked out. So he took a year, took like 13 months off. Came back against Michael Johnson. He lost the first round, did not throw any punches. He lost the second round, did not throw any punches. And then he knocked out Michael Johnson in the third round. And it was just one of those classic Michael Johnson blows a fight late because let's face it, Michael Johnson blows every fight late. But he looked really bad. And that was the longest career layoff that he had or something. So this being now the new longest career long layoff he's had a year and a half, part of me does not not wonder if, hey, we know he's got power, but knocking out Dan Ingate, good luck. Like, he's got a hell of a chin. So you, you're going to go out and need there and to out-hustle him. And at 36, the year and a half long layoff with a bunch of injuries that he's been pretty vocal about, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, plus 145, it's live Dan Ige money. It's just, I, I always hit that live Dan Ige money and hasn't really worked out that great for me so far. So, oh, yeah, I don't love it. I'll use side underdog. I don't think I'm going to bet 50 50 fight. So, yeah, maybe not. Like, again, it's another very entertaining fight. Going to be a real fun fight. It'll be a nail biter, but it's going to be sweaty. Could go either way. But if I think it's a 50 50 fight, you think it's a 50 50 fight. And what's the name of the show, right? Dogger Pass. So yeah. I suppose I suppose Dan 50K Ige. I mean, the problem with fading Emmett, too, if we think it's going to be even remotely close. And, and in fairness to him, he landed 128 strikes against Shane Burgos. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, if, he gets yeah. A, if he gets a knockdown, if he gets a knockdown, I mean, there goes one round. If he gets a knockdown in two different rounds, you're down two rounds. Dan Ige is not exactly a finisher, so... My mind's kind of swirling on this one. Not a fight that I really have too much confidence in whatsoever, to be perfectly honest. Moving on down, we got Pedro Munoz taking on Dominic Cruz. Minus 120 Munoz, plus 100 for Dom. Um, I was kind of joking on Twitter, I feel. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Keith was the referee for this cruise fight. I'm sure it. I'm sure yeah, they, they won't allow it at this at this point. Oh, alcohol and cigarettes, Keith is not ever refing a Dominic Cruz fight ever again. The funny thing is is that that Peterson is seemingly turned into the referee that lets things go and and uh Herb Dean is the guy who seems to step in and stop things super quickly these days. So, the exact opposite of what Dominic Cruz experienced against Henry Cejudo, but, um, yeah, I, here's the, here's my struggle with it. Like Pedro Munoz, great leg kicks. Great. Like, I feel like a lot of the wrestling here is going to be neutralized. This fight probably st- takes place on the feet. Pedro Munoz has great leg kicks, but Dominic Cruz has great mobility. So it's like, it's really hard to land really, really hot, like effective leg kicks 
um, when your target is always moving, right? It's, it's it's a lot easier when you're fighting somebody like the Diaz brothers, who they were really really heavy on that front that front leg, and you just target practice, right? I, I you know is this was a pick 'em yesterday, and and now it's starting to become Pedro Munoz as a favorite. Let me just look at how the markets. Eh, nah, the market's pretty split across the board. DraftKings is has made. Pedro Munoz, the slight, slight favorite, but it's pretty much a pick him across the board. I'm leaning towards Dominic Cruz. I think that his mobility, his style, if he's still able to move, the old man, he's getting he's getting up there in age, don't get me wrong. If he's still able to move like that, I think he his style present, presents some pretty serious problems for Pedro Munoz. So I'll go with Dominic Cruz plus 100 as the dog here. What about you? And you're not totally off talking about the style thing. It's like, this is the exact prototypical matchup that Dominic Cruz loves. He loves guys that are going to come straight, generally on a straight linear line at him, and allow him to move and use his quirky, quirky footwork and just kind of use out volume. And one thing with Pedro Munoz, and my God, is this guy talented, but he has a 65-inch reach. Like, it costs him, dude. It costs him. It makes a difference. When you look at the times he's really been outclassed, Aljamain Sterling, who had a 71-inch reach, it's a 6-inch reach advantage, and the Jose Aldo fight, where Jose Aldo is a 70-inch reach, so it's a 5-inch reach advantage. Here, Cruz has only got a 3-inch reach advantage. I believe he's at 68, but the guys that have been able to utilize that ability to just beat him to the punch, stay to the outside, stay mobile, yeah, it definitely works very effectively against him. But, I mean, Dominic Cruz is just another one of these guys I think he's overachieving at this stage in his career. I'm 36 years old. When you look at his the wins, right, uh, I don't know. I thought he lost the TJ Dillashaw fight when he came back. The Cody Garbrandt fight, you know, pretty close, I suppose. Uh, the Casey Kinney fight his last time out, you know, very close. They're close matchups. He's still got a little something in the tank. He can still keep it competitive. He can still use that style. I don't know. I just feel like Pedro's going to just be coming at him, landing the like when he can, but beyond that, just swinging the bigger heavy shots. One thing about Cruz is that he's not really known for his power. He can matador you. He can stay to the outside. He can land some flashy stuff. He mm -hmm. can land that volume. But the bigger, more impactful work does not usually come from Dominic Cruz. And he has struggled against guys that are in his face and trying to use, you know, just slug it out with them, make it a dirty fight. The Henry Cejudo fight. Again, that's a long layoff. So what version of Cruz you get, I don't know. But Henry just stuck in his face. That's the way to approach it. I used to think that he was just sour grapes after that fight, telling Keith Peterson, you know, the cigs and the booze. But have you heard Keith Peterson talk lately? Like, he definitely smokes a carton of cigs a day. Like, <laughs> he's like, hey, guys, cut that out. It's just like, holy crap, man. Like, I maybe Cruz is onto something. I mean, it was during a know. pandemic, so he probably smokes cigarettes. But, like, it's probably hand sanitizer. Uh, it could be. Could I mean, be. San However, hand sanitizer seen... is alcohol. I seen a guy downtown Toronto having a swig off a bottle of hand sanitizer the other day, Paul, <laughs> under the bridge. So what's up with that? <laughs> Keith Pearson's always got neck tats. So how am I supposed to know what this guy's up to in his free How do you time, know right? that he doesn't drink uh that he doesn't drink hand sanitizer when it's when <laughs> yeah, it's when it's readily it's available? It's smoke Marlboro Reds. They they're not um, selling yeah, they're not selling beers at the concessions. So you gotta you gotta take what you can get. That's true. That's true. Plus, I mean, it's nowadays, it's just, it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's very, uh, very readily available. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All jokes aside, though, how does this matchup play out? Probably close, competitive. I think it's going 15 minutes. You're going to have volume and just better footwork on the side of Cruz. You're going to have the forward pressure and the bigger shots landed by Dom, by uh, Pedro Munoz. People are going to complain whatever side ends up winning this thing in the decision. We just hope that two of those three judges are on our side. I'm going to lean Pedro Munoz. You're leaning in Dominic Cruz. So one of us is going to be the winner. One of us will be the loser, my friend. All right, another tight fight coming up here in the heavyweight division. Taitu Ivasa takes on Augustus Sakai. Who you got here, bud? You know what? I want to feel like I've got to give Augustus Sakai a flyer. Like, he came to the UFC. He's looked limited at times. I mean, I thought he looked awful in the Andrei Arlovsky fight. The fight with Blagoya Ivanov, not great. But the Alistair Overeem fight, this is a three-round fight. He, he wins it all day long. Like, he easily wins the first two. Looks really good. Third round, I thought he won. Certainly landed the numbers, uh, but he's just slowing down. And then in the fourth round, he's just cooked. He's finito. At the end of the third, he ends up getting taken down. In the fourth, Overeem just takes him right down, smashes him into oblivion. As far as a five-round Augustus Sakai, not it for him. But as far as a three-round Augustus Sakai goes, dude, he's super mobile. For like a big 265-pound guy, moves well. Decent power in his punches. Decent volume. Decent output. Again, some of the early UFC fights, he's a little gun-shy, but I think he's overcome a little bit of that. And then he gasses out against Overeem in, uh, in his first real step up. It's a, you know, it's a headlining attraction. Then the next fight against Rosenstruck, it's Yerzina Rosenstruck. You know, you get hit by this guy. Uh, you're not going to live to tell the tale. Many, m- most people don't. So he gets knocked down in the first round. That in itself is now he's just a write-off. But in another world, he won 30-27 or he won 29-20 at the very bare minimum against Overeem in a three-rounder. And Rosenstruck can do that to anybody. So he caught him. So he also represents a guy that has a lot of power as well. This is heavyweight. Definitely catch him. Definitely knock him out in the first round. But he's not nearly as impressive, man. Like his own run of losses, he looked terrible against uh, Blagoya Ivanov. He had absolutely zero ground game in Sergey Spivak, gave up multiple easy takedowns, and then eventually gets submitted with an arm triangle. And then he goes on a run of first-round knockouts. He knocks out Stefan Struve, no longer employed with the company. He knocks out Harry Hunsucker, no longer employed with the company. Yeah, and then the Greg Hardy fight, again, it's a game of inches. You're splitting hairs. He's this close to getting knocked out. Dan Hardy smokes him. He is wobbling. And then what does he do? He lands his own shot. Dems to breaks. That's how things go. So now he does a shoe in. Everybody gets fired up and everybody's pumped up. And, hey, he well, won us what, money man? that day. We were happy for him. Hells yeah. Definitely we were happy, especially because it was an inside the distance. You know, uh, Tuivasa by knockout. That's the way the guy rolls. And could he go out there and knock out Augusto Sakai? Yeah, again, could definitely happen. But he's got lackluster cardio of his own. He doesn't necessarily put his punches together the best. And there's no doubt about it. He was massively rocked in that Greg Hardy fight. So... Part of me thinks that we're getting a we're in a situation where one guy's a fan favorite. He does a shoey. He's won people money. It's exciting. You're into it. He and the other guy. Well, you know what? He looks like putting on the scales. He's lost his last two fights. He's been knocked out. It's not nearly as appealing. But Felix Sakai's got a shot here, so I'm leaning towards Augusto Sakai. However, if that's who I end up going with, and I go against Ty, Ty Tuivasa, I'll make a shoey bet. Ty Tuivasa does win and proves me wrong. I hit that shoey on next week's episode. Why don't we make the shoey back? Because I'm going to go with Ty. I think that okay. Augusta Sakai gets hit a little bit too much. I'm not betting. This is this this gets me out of trying to put a bet on a closely lined heavyweight fight. That I'm not going to be shocked if either either guy. You made some great points on the side of Augusta Sakai getting the job done. I think he is the cleaner, more technical striker. Um, Ty Tuivasa, I was going to say that he's a little bit more durable, but yeah, you're right. Greg, Greg Hardy rocked him. He was knocked out by Junior Dos Santos and he got hit. He got walloped in that fight. 
My my problem with Sakai is that he just gets hit too much, man. Chase Sherman landed 79 significant strikes on him. Overeem's a super, super low-volume striker. 92 significant strikes on him. Jair Zinho was up 16-3 to three on him. Jair Zinho never throws that many strikes in a round. Um, that's fair. Yeah, Ty, fair. Ty has low volume, but maybe this turns into... If this turns into a barnstorm type of fight, as Ty Tuivasa says, I'm not that guy, bro. As he said to Greg Hardy, um, I'm not that guy, bro. I, and I just want Ty to be, you know, drinking lots of shoey. Oh, they're actually, this is this one's at T-Mobile. So there will be people with boots lined up if Ty Tuivasa oh, yeah. gets the job done. So yeah, shoey bet, official shoey bet. I got Ty Tuivasa, you got Augusta Sakai. I just, I just think Sakai gets hit a little bit too much and... Uh, if he, I mean, it's a game of inches in this in the heavyweight division. If one of these guys eats a super super clean one, that could be all she wrote. So, it is what it is. But yeah, uh, Tui Vasa for me, Sakai for you. Hey, football fans! I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code DOP this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Next up, Bruno Silva takes on Jordan Wright. Minus 365 for Bruno Silva. Jordan Wright can be had for plus 280. Second leg of the... Um, as of the laser-guided heat-seeking missile parlay, his fight doesn't go to decision in this. So I've got a minus 300 on the on Nunez inside the distance. Minus 400. I, it's chalky. People are going to be like, oh, my God, just pick two, like, super, super chalky things. It's just like, I struggle to see how these guys go 15 minutes. Jordan Wright has never seen a third round. The way he fights, he's the perfect confluence of, like, aggression and probably a lack of durability. A lot of his early fights is like, you got to just throw it out. He's fighting complete tomato cans. Um, obviously he's super, super talented on the feet. I think the line is a little bit overinflated here for Bruno Silva. Like I don't want to, I don't feel great about laying a minus 365 on him. I he's looked good in his UFC run here, but I mean, he got taken down seven times against Andrew Sanchez, Mel Wellington Terman's a scrub. Like that was a fight that he should clearly, clearly win. Yeah, I, I think that I fight doesn't go to decision is relatively close to a Bruno uh, Bruno Silva uh, price here, and I just think that's the much safer piece in this fight. Uh, the over under is set at one and a half rounds, minus one fifty five to the under. 
over time, I've just kind of realized it's like I hate playing super juiced one and a half rounds um, unders. It's just like duh. I was explaining to Matt before we came in here. It's like these fighters know that they have 15 minutes. It's like they don't go in there and be like, oh, I mean, got to make sure I get the job done in the first seven and a half minutes. Like that's just not a thing that happens. So if Bruno Silva maybe shoots for takedowns early, uh, tries to wear this or, you know, slow down right and take him out of his comfort zone and they get to, yeah, sometime in the second round, uh, yeah, you end up losing that one and a half. So it is juice to minus 400 for the, the under, or sort of fight doesn't go to decision. But yeah, parlayed with Amanda Nunez, Silva Wright, or Amanda Nunez inside the distance, and Silva Wright, fight doesn't go to decision, comes out to minus 152. That's the laser-guided laser heat-seeking missile this week. And I don't make them very often. But I really struggle, Cody, to see how this loses. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to agree with you there. You got two guys here that are historically uh, not going the distance. When you look at Bruno Silva, it's sickening. Sickening. 18 KOs. Like, what? Who has 18 KO wins? Melvin Manhoff? You know, like, that's the kind of, that's what you're dealing with. He's got 21 career wins, 18 KOs. 86% of his wins by knockout. Like, it's just unheard of. Now, when you look at a lot of these fights, oh, wow. It's easy to knock out putzes. Like, no, he went to Russia. He was the RCZ champion. He's the M1 champion. He fought good guys. He knocked them out in the first round. While he's one of these big Brazilians that'll bum rush you in the first round. No. The Artem Frolov fight, fourth round knockout, drags him into deep waters. His last fight against Andrew Sanchez, he got taken on seven times. He lost the first two rounds. In the third round, fresh as a daisy, my friend. Yep. He can carry his power throughout. That's what makes him dangerous. I mean, no doubt about it, when you look at how he matches up against Jordan Wright, striker versus striker, and uh, Wright's pretty flashy. He's got a flashy kick game. He uh, he can manage his distance pretty good. He is good in and out of the pocket, good footwork. But once he does get hit, things go south for him. And that's kind of his story. You already talked about he hasn't been past, he hasn't been to a third round. That's in victory and defeat. Um, his fight on the contender series versus Anthony Hernandez, he got knocked out in 40 seconds. He was undefeated to that point. He had walked through everybody in the first round, most of them in less than a minute. First time he actually really cleanly got hit, he gets knocked out by Anthony Hernandez. A win over Ike Villanueva, that don't mean anything. Does that mean anything? Doesn't mean doesn't mean anything. The win over Jamie Pickett's last time out, Pickett was known to not get knocked out, to knock him out in the first round. Shows obviously this kid does have some legitimate power. But I go back to that Joaquin Buckley fight. He's controlling the first round. He does well for the first three and a half. Four minutes of the round. Buckley, the much shorter man. Again, he's using that speed. He's using uh, his footwork just to avoid Buckley's bombs. And then near the end of the first round, he just gets clipped. And he's done, dude. He is on wobbly legs, equilibrium gone, saved by the bell, goes to his corner. And you'd have to go back and watch it, but he's stuttering in his corner. And it's Greg Jackson, right? So it's uh, it's Mike Winklejohn and them, so they don't care if you die. So they just toss him back in there. And then he proceeds to get knocked out. 18 seconds into the round because he's still not there like mm -hmm. that shot clipped him in the first round and he never did recover nope. and that's the tough thing about a prize sport is that we see these guys look at clay guida on the weekend like you don't think this guy's hurt you know they, but but he literally turns it back on in the matter of seconds seconds he's right back with it that's why it's hard to step in and stop this guy's got two minutes of lapse in time and it's just like not there. So he does knock out Jamie Pickett's last time out, but it's a minute and four. Pickett's not known as a power puncher. Pickett never really got going. He just finished it. Is he capable of finishing guys early? Yes. But the longer these fights go, he is going to get hit. 
And when he gets hit, I don't think he wears it that good. Now, you haven't just given him a guy in the division. You've given him a guy that has the highest KO ratio in the division. A guy that just carries power for all three rounds. He's on what? He's on a nine-fight win. Is it a seven-fight winning streak? All the wins by knockout. One, two, He's three, a finisher. Four, five, six. Six-fight win streak. Six-fight winning streak. Of those wins, Artem Frolov was undefeated 11-0 at the time, Russian prospect. Alexander Shlomenko is known as one of the goats in Russia. You know, he knocks him out in the first round. Gainey Kovalev, 17-6, and six, very solid. Like, he's not just knocking out bums. No. Here's his thing, okay? In six career losses, never been knocked out, been submitted five times. Mm-hmm. He got a bad ground game, okay? And what you saw against Andrew Sanchez is that he has a bad ground game. Luckily for us, Jordan Wright has 0% takedown accuracy because he's never even attempted a takedown. So, yeah, I'm going to say he's this thing stays standing. He's got some subs on his record from... But, uh, but look at the guys. Oh, yeah, against, guys. Against, against, against absolute slubs on the Read their records. Season, so read their knows. records. We've got an 0-0, 0-0, 0-5, uh, 0-0, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 0-5, 
But to that point, he looked good. So now I go hard on him Same in this here. Darren Stewart rematch because he just kicked the crap out of him. And they're giving you a pretty good line on the rematch. Yeah, he's like I minus thought. 145, like jammed, jammed cash at it. Yeah. He's still at fight ready MMA. Nothing's changed, but he's a 50-50 guy. And you know what happens in that spot? He does win, but he did not show up. Well, he, he, he actually needed, gave up two takedowns. He needed to get poked in the eye before he did anything. Like He took over yeah. in, at the end of round three. But it's like yes. he got poked in the eye, and then all of a sudden it was just like it was some. It was like that poke in the eye lit a firecracker under his ass, and he got after it at that point. But yeah, I totally agree. Those first two rounds, you're just like, oh my god, why, why are you letting this be close? Like you, you showed you showed the athletic ability that if you overwhelm this guy, he can't keep up with you. You're too athletic. You're too strong. You're too powerful use these advantages that you have over Dar- Darren Stewart in this spot. And, uh, and yeah, it took, it took the eye after pre eye poke and post eye after he got the eye poke, he got the takedown, he controlled them. It was, it was all good. I felt pretty good about the bet after, after the fact, but yeah, those first two rounds were dicey, man. Big time dicey. And beyond that, I remember the takedown that Darren Stewart used it to take him down. It's like, this guy's not a good wrestler, you know? And could you get back up against Darren Stewart? Sure, sure. But are you going to get back up against Andre Muniz? No, no. And if this thing was a bog against the cage, pull guard. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mind Eric Anders on top of me if I'm Andre Muniz. If jiu-jitsu's that good, and he's able to sweep, and he's able to throw up arm bars, and he's able to just isolate a limb and then take it home with him, he'll be okay. Now, striking's not good, 100%. But Eric Anders has one knockout win in the UFC. It was against Vinicius Moreira, who was 0-4 in the UFC, all four losses by knockout. So his power hasn't translated, and he doesn't got a ton of volume. Like, even that Darren Stewart fight his last time out, again, 44 uh, significant strikes landed over 15 minutes. The Jocko fight, 41 over 15 minutes. Uh, His fight with Elias Theodore, 65 landed over 15 minutes. It's it's always it's always low number. Him versus Khalil Roundtree, he got murdered in that fight. He got knocked down four times in that fight. Uh, but still, he lands sixteen significant strikes over the course of fifteen minutes. So his his output's not there, and the power's not there. So if he's not just going to clip Mooney's and knock him out, he's going to have to sprawl him wrong for fifteen, which is possible. But I think more likely than not, Mooney's hits one or two takedowns, and then low key, that's all he needs, right? So. Mm-hmm. Give me Andre Muniz. The, the price is fair. The price is fair. I won't say that it's off or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it's not a walk in the park, right? It's good, yeah. could still, there is a path to victory for Anders. It's just he's a 50-50 guy, and I'm going to lean towards not showing up this time. Yeah, I'm not stepping for, I'm not stepping in front of Muniz after what he did to my boy Jackaray. Just won't do it. Just Nasty. won't do it. Miranda, Miranda Maverick takes on Aaron Blanchfield, minus 135. Maverick plus 115 Blanchfield. Um, I'm kind of surprised by this line too, to be perfectly honest. I mean, maybe maybe they're reading into Maverick losing. I mean, I was on bar. We we had a bet about that fight, didn't we? I was yeah, on Barber. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I won a hundred percent. Was that a shoey bet? It was a shoey bet. It was a shoey bet. Like, I got one over on you there. Maverick clearly won that fight. Um, I mean, the numbers look relatively close, but I thought it was pretty... Macy didn't even really get anything going until round three. She was definitely... Right, uh, in, on my scorecard, she was down uh, down two rounds against Macy Barber. Um, I thought Blanchfield... I mean, she had, like, 
the easiest matchup in the division. Sarah Alpar, who's no longer with the promotion, I believe. Um, took her down, controlled her. Wasn't able to get the finish there, which I guess Alpar is, like, durable, but I don't know. I kind of thought that I... I figure I kind of saw some, like, some issues with her her strength. I don't think that she's, like, built like a ship brick house. I don't think that she's too, too strong at this division. And she's going to need to be super, super strong in those exchanges against Maverick. Because Maverick's is a goddamn tank. Like, the girl is a ball of muscle. Um, I'm picking Maverick here just on physicality. I, I just don't. If Blanch, uh, Blanchfield, Blanchfield has some strike, uh, some uh, some flashy strikes and stuff that I've seen on tape, but uh, no, I think I think Maverick's the better better overall fighter here, much more stronger girl of the two of them. Uh, so prove me wrong, Aaron Blanchfield. I'll go with Maverick. What about you? Yeah, this is a weird fight. So it started off at Macy Barber versus Montana De La Rosa, which I thought was free money for Macy Barber. And then Montella De La Rosa pulls out. And then they book Macy Barber versus Aaron Blanchfield. Then Macy Barber pulls out. And now you're getting Miranda Maverick versus Aaron Blanchfield. So uh, it's completely changed. Essentially, they're both on short notice. What I don't understand for if you're the UFC and the matchmaking team, the I think the future of the division is Macy Barber, Miranda Maverick, and Aaron Blanchfield. So why are they all fighting so soon? Like, why is it that Miranda Maverick just fought Macy Barber and now she's got to come back to a Blanchfield fight? Like, these girls are young, man. Develop them. Maverick was born in 1997. Blanchfield's born in 1999. Like, no, no, no. Throw you together. Short notice. Don't give you a full camp is what it is. Uh, personally, I'm going to lean towards Aaron Blanchfield, though. I think it's a 50-50 fight and a slight dog money on Blanchfield. We'll talk about a couple of the reasons why. Um, you talked about strength and physicality. I do agree with you. Miranda Maverick is shredded. This girl's in killer shape, and I know that she's physically strong. It's going to be tough to go out there and deal with someone like that. But with Erin Blanchfield, she doesn't look like she's got the muscle, I suppose. She's very physically strong as well. Keep in mind that this is a girl that took a short-notice fight against Norma Dumont in her UFC debut. Dumont pulled out, right? Blanchfield was good to go. Dumont missed weight. She moved up to 135 on short notice to take on the what, probably one of the bigger girls in the division, why? Because again, her coaching staff are very, very high on her. She's got legitimate skills everywhere. And I think that physically she's a pretty strong girl. Now, Sarah Alpar on paper is a wrestler dominated by Blanchfield. Three takedowns, one in every round. Once the fight did hit the ground, no way to get back up. And 120 significant strikes landed over the course of 15 minutes by Blanchfield. Killer numbers. So you've got someone who's physically strong in the clinch. She does have good striking, but again, she's a good striker in the clinch. Wrestling's pretty okay. Grappling is awesome. And she's got excellent cardio. I mean, at the end of three rounds with Alpar, she didn't even break a sweat, and yet she was absolutely dominating. Maverick, meanwhile, when you look back to, we'll just talk about that Macy Barber fight. So the first round is definitely Maverick, right? She doubles her up on the significant strikes. She gets that late takedown. She's a bit of a back control. Okay, we got a first round Macy Barber, or first round for Miranda Maverick. The second round is actually a lot tighter. I think Maverick outstrikes her 15 to 13. It's actually a lot closer round. I think we all scored the round for Maverick. But it wasn't a blowout like the first round. It was closer. The third round, she tires a little bit. As well, Macy Barber's physically strong and having her best success in the clinch. Elbows in the clinch. Dirty boxing in the clinch. Press her up against the cage. That starts to take a toll on her. Now, here's the thing with Macy Barber. She's a slow starter. She did the exact same thing against Alexa Grosso. She essentially took the first two rounds off and then came alive in the third. And then the third had good success in both fights. 
in this one enough, I guess, to persuade the judges. But I think with Blanche feels that she's not a slow starter. She's going to be strong. She's going to be physical. She's going to be looking to tie you up and grapple from the get-go. She potentially has a slight striking advantage, maybe. I just think there's a lot to like from Blanchfield. I've been a big fan of her work dating back from Invicta. She came to the UFC. She looked like a million bucks against Alpar. And I'm a huge fan of Maverick's work. And, you know, I thought she won the Barber fight. She's been very good to us. She's been someone that's going to fight for your dollar. But this is a 50-50 fight between two of the brightest prospects in the game. And certainly in this division, I'm leaning towards Aaron Blanchfield. But Again, it's probably not uh, confidence off the chart. Like, you cannot overlook or disrespect Maverick and what she brings to the table. Just, I like Blanchfield. Fair enough. All right, we got uh, Alex Perez taking on Matt Schnell. Minus 345 Perez, plus 260 Schnell. What's your take here? Good fight. This is a pretty good fight. I think, again, Alex Perez, when you look at him at his best, he should just walk right through Matt Schnell, right? The guy's a former title challenger, and I feel bad for him in that he built up a legitimate resume here. I mean, the guy's on a pretty solid run. He beats Jose Torres. Do you have fight metric up real quick? Fight Talk metric? No, I never have fight yeah. metric up. Okay, well, I'll, I I'll have just UFC it, stats. I oh, yeah, sorry. That's, they're basically the same thing. Okay, UFC stats. UFC stats, Alex Perez, Jose Torres, right? Jose Torres, yep. Alex Perez. Okay. Fight last three. How many strikes did he throw in the fight lasted what? Three minutes and 49 seconds? Yeah. Significant strikes, 84 of 162. He lands 84 significant strikes out of 162 thrown in three minutes and 36 seconds. He threw 162. Yeah unbelievably insane this guy's the man and then the joseph benavidez fight were they shots to the back of the head paul were they shots i don't know i had joseph benavidez in that fight so i'm not going to look into it too much but maybe it's a bad maybe it's a bad bounce um the jordan espinoza fight right he it took him two and a half minutes to do to jordan espinoza what tim elliott could not do in 15 full minutes like he went out there buzzsawed right through you see he's bjj black belt very good solid boxing good solid leg kick stays in your face complete package Knocks out Juicy or Formiga in the first round. Who knocks out Formiga? It's a hell of a win, really. And you see the leg kicks. Like, this guy is savage. He'll absolutely just chop down that lead leg, leaves you vulnerable, stiffens you up, and then bombs you with hooks over the top. Like, there's a lot that you can like out of him. He's supposed to fight Brandon Moreno in a title challenger fight. Moreno pulls out, and they chucked him right in there against Davidson Figueroa. He gets caught in a guillotine. And then just that was the last time you saw him. You know, it's been a year. He pulled out of a Matt Chanel fight the first time. Askar Askarov pulled out of a fight, and then they rebooked the third Schnell fight. So Quietly's been sitting on the sidelines. You've got that bad taste in your mouth from him getting caught in the guillotine choke. Schnell's an opportunistic submission guy. Definitely could throw up a submission and catch him. And at these, at this line, this value, hey, maybe Schnell does catch him in that submission. But I got to go with the work that Perez does. And when you look at Schnell's last fight against Rodrigo Bontorin, I mean, he gets backed up by the stockier, more powerful guy. And Bontorin uses the leg kicks to chop down the lead leg and then come over the top with the big heavy hooks. That's exactly what Perez is going to be able to do as well. He's got better back class, better wrestling, a good enough wrestling to keep Schnell's best weapon off the table, his grappling. Don't take him down. Stuff his takedowns. Keep this thing standing. Schnell can bop, right? Schnell, Schnell can, he's got some striking. He's got a decent little jab to him. He's, uh, he's well-educated, but I don't think he knocks out Perez and his chin's a bit of a liability. If mm-hmm. they go shot for shot, 15-minute striking battle, Perez is going to catch him at some point, whereas Schnell's ability to finish the fight in an instant is the grappling, and I think Perez is too good to let that happen. So... Yeah, I got it. I got to agree. I got to agree with the, I don't agree with the line. I think it's a little bit wide, but I agree that the favorite should be Alex Perez and I will be taking Alex Perez. 
Yeah, I think the line is a little bit wide. I'm more interested in hitting this fight doesn't go to decision, which can be had yeah. for plus 100 and under two and a half rounds plus 130. I think that's the best way to attack it from my perspective. Maybe Schnell finds a submission, as you were alluding to. Maybe Schnell probably doesn't knock him out, don't get me wrong, but both of these guys, for being 125 pounds, are known for being finishers. They get the job done. Really, really high, high-paced fights. Um, you know, I'm, am I going to be completely stunned if this fight goes to decision? No, but with with Matt Schnell, he hasn't been, you know, that chitin hasn't been compromised in a few fights now, but we've seen it. We've seen it in the past, and Perez is the kind of guy that can capitalize on that. Um, and I see, like, Perez inside the distance is, like, plus 140, so might as well just take, like, the under 2.5 at plus 130, I feel like that covers you on the other side in case that, you know, in case Perez gets caught in some sort of submission or something when they're scrambling on the ground or something like that. Yeah, so uh, that's actually, yeah, that'll be a bet I will add once we get off the line here. Uh, Moving on down, interesting fight. I think this one could really play out uh, kind of hilariously. Uh, We got Ryan Hall taking on Derek Minner. Minus 200, Ryan Hall. Plus 170, Derek Minner. I know Derek Minner's got uh, James Krause, and I think James Krause is a freaking genius. And, you know, he did a great job coaching this guy and getting him, you know, in that in that Charles Rosa fight. He looked great. He's just like, I know you can go onto the ground and hang out with this guy and just and just ride it out on top. And And he did just that. Didn't put himself in any sort of dangerous positions. Didn't fight like the maniac that he's very, very entertaining when he fights like a maniac. But didn't didn't fight like the maniac that had, you know, caused so many ups and downs in his career. Um, Ryan Hall, like you can't afford to make one mistake when it comes to that, though. And Ryan Hall is going to actively uh, disengage... He's going to actively flop to his back just to try to grab your ankle and and submit you. Like, his game is so weird. And he's got, because he does such weird things and because the entire time that you're thinking on the um, on the feet, oh, God, I don't want to be taken down. He's able to throw spinning, spinning back kicks, spinning back fists, the whole gamut because it's like, what's the worst that could happen besides you landing a perfectly placed punch and, and knocking me out? But... Like, what's the worst thing? Are you going to take me down? Great. Let's go down there. Um, I think, you know, James Krause will have Derek Minner at least mentally ready to go out there and avoid the takedown at all costs. But is he going to be able to avoid it for 15 minutes? I, I I don't have enough confidence in Derek Minner to go out there and execute the perfect game plan. I think eventually these guys get wrapped up and Ryan Hall sink, uh, sinks in a submission. So I'm going to go with Ryan Hall. Don't love the minus 200. Well, Ryan Hall by sub is probably, I haven't even looked at it because I just assume that it's probably. What is Ryan Hall? Ryan Hall by submission is plus 120. I see a plus 150 out there. Um, that's the way I would play it if I was going to play it would be uh, Hall by sub plus 150. I don't know if I'm going to get there, though. What about you? 
Yeah, well, I would love to be on the Hall side of submission things. Like, I'm doing to be on Ryan Hall. I'd love to take the Hall by submission. The one thing that kind of gets me there is that Ryan Hall can't wrestle, right? So he's not no. offensively taking you down. No. Is that you need to make a mistake or maybe potentially try to take him down, I guess? Yeah. His last couple of fights, though, it's mostly stand-up, right? Because they don't want to engage him in the grappling, and he doesn't have the wrestling to do so himself. So he just stays to the outside and kicks. And I think he can do that here and still win the fight against Derek Manor. I think he yep. can stay to the outside and kick him and win a decision. I so agree. I don't know 100% that he gets a submission, but I think he's got multiple paths to victories. If it hits the ground, he's definitely going to win. If it doesn't hit the ground, I still think he just stays at range and kicks away. Derek Manor has always been a very curious case. Uh, he's got 38 pro fights, and yet he's only been to decision four times. 26 of his fights have ended inside of the very first round. Now, in terms of his wins, he has one knockout and 22 submissions. Well, that doesn't no good here, right? Catching Ryan Hall would be cool, but the last time he knocked out a guy was eight years ago, and it was the only time in 26 wins he had ever knocked out anybody. 22 submission wins. Well, that's dope, man. Obviously, he's a good grappler. Not so fast. Offensively, he's a good grappler. In 12 losses, he's been submitted eight times. So that's kind of the knock on him. Is that Did I mention 26 fights have ended in the first round? When they don't end in the first round, his gas tank just absolutely falls apart. Now, the Darren Elkins fight's a prime example. He starts off pretty good. And then the longer the fight goes, he completely gasses out. He loses. One fight back against Charles Rosa, he's completely gassed. He is on fumes. The thing is, is that he's on top of Charles Rosa, who apparently has no game off his back. Like Charles Rosa is a BJJ black belt, and yet zero offense off of his back. Very frustrating to watch, but it's the reason why Charles Rosa is just rendered useless in 2021 UFC. The fight before that, Laramie, it's a first-round finish. The fight before that, Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson, he rang his neck with two or three tight guillotine chokes. When he failed to submit Grant Dawson, Grant Dawson finished him in the second round. That's a repetitive theme throughout. On the Contender Series, Herbert Burns, first-round submission. Kevin Kroon, last of the first round, TKO'd him in the second. Jordan Griffin, watch that fight. LFA 34, fun fight. Um, he puts Jordan Griffin in about three or four of the tightest submission attempts. Jordan Griffin simply survives the submission attempts, and in the second round, he's so gassed. Jordan Griffin armbarred. Griffin armbarred this guy. Our guy from uh, Calgary, Alberta, Jesse Arnett, needed two rounds. See the theme? Second round. Always happens in the second round. Mm-hmm. He gets submitted. So, yeah, his best weapon is his own grappling. 22 submission victories. It just What are you going to do? Take down Ryan Hall? Like, okay. Him off his back, he's going to be better than you. If for whatever reason he created a scramble or hit a sweep or you just botch it, take down him, and he ends up on top, you're in a whole lot of trouble. If the fight doesn't hit the ground whatsoever, you, you still not a stand-up guy. He's got excellent range, like management. Look at the Gray Maynard fight. He made him look like an idiot. Look at the Darren Elkins fight. He dropped Elkins twice in the stand-up department with these like hook kicks. Like, what the hell, man? This guy's a wizard. And that's what he is. Ryan Hall is a wizard. Tricky. That's his nickname. Definitely not top five. Definitely not top ten, but a crafty some bitch. And enough to get the job done here against someone who's a little more straightforward in a Derek Minner. So you know, minus 200, it is what it is. But uh, I, I actually do like Ryan Hall. Hopefully he doesn't find a way to blow this thing for himself because I, uh, I think he could get it done. Here's, here's, a, here's a prop I see out there. Kind of, kind of silly. Hall sub two. So Hall submission round two plus 650. Yes, actually, not bad at all. Not you bad know, Minner wins that first round. You're like, oh, see, if Ryan Hall's not able to wrestle, he's not able to get it to the ground. And then Minner gets tired from that game plan, falls into submission. Maybe put some lunch money on that one. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna circle it. Put some lunch. Not, nothing like not even like a full out sprinkle. Just uh, 
just to get yes, just to have some action on this fight. All right, moving on down, we got uh, Randy Costa taking on uh, Tony Kelly minus one eighty. Randy Costa plus one fifty five for your boy Tony Kelly. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this is going to be a real test for Randy Costa in the sense of where's his ring IQ at? Because if he comes out here with a better game plan and fights properly, I think he wins for sure. My, my issue is that Randy Costa's had a lot of success doing the same thing, which is just bomb rush you, get in your face, and have an absolute spectacular fun fight. It's a war. Either you go down or he goes down. But the fans are always cheering. They're in the T-Mobile arena. There is a live crowd. Mm-hmm. Note, it's a pay-per-view. They're not on the pay-per-view portion, but it is a big card. No doubt about it that the opportunity to go out there and get a bonus from Dana White or fight for $50,000, it's going to present itself. If he goes out there and he chases it, could be a problem. Tony Kelly, never been knocked out. Tony Kelly, one of these guys that, bit of a junkyard dog, you know? He's better in the third round than he is in the first. He's very hittable in the first. He's a little slow. He's a little predictable. But by the third round, he's still with it. He always comes in great shape. He's Andrea Lee. I think he's just her boyfriend. I don't think they're engaged or anything. But regardless, it's like the guy's in shape, ready to go. Hasn't fought in a year and a half. And you know what's his best? You know what's his best attribute? Probably just toughness. His striking is not great. His wrestling certainly ain't great. But he's got good cardio and he's tough. Randy Costa's kind of the opposite. He's extremely talented. This guy's striking looks awesome. I saw some stupid poll. But I think the UFC put it out. It was like who's the best boxer in the UFC? Did you see that? And they had number five was Andrew Yanez. Like, how is this guy on the list? I know he's a good boxer. We love him. We like this guy, but. How would Adrian Yanez be considered one of the top five boxers in, in the game? People like him. He's smooth, just like George Mazadol. I thought Randy Costa read him like a book, man. I'm going to jab this guy in the face, cause him to split off one of the sides, bomb him with a head kick. Works out a nine out of 10 opponents. Thing is, Yanez is high level. But my God, his striking look crisp. He's got power. We know that. For this division, he hits you. It's going to create a bunch of trouble. And being at Sanford MMA now with Henry Hoof and Co., He's put himself in a great gym, surrounded by great training partners. No doubt that this kid could go sky's the limit. He's still young enough, all this. But he's got to just pace himself a little bit, man. Super talented. You don't need to throw that many strikes. Mm -hmm. You don't need to throw seven head kicks around, ten head kicks around. Don't need to do that. So if he comes out a little bit more measured, yeah, he's a better striker than Tony Kelly. Kelly's not going to take him down. We We need Costa to go out there and fight two rounds, which is not really something he's done so far. But again, I think the skills there, he just needs the proper game plan and to actually follow said proper game plan. So I am going to go with uh, Randy Costa. I think this is the first time in his UFC career because I've bet against him every single time. Uh, I was proven right twice and I lost twice. So, you know, he's a 50-50 guy. He's two and two in the UFC. This is the first time I'm going to back him here. And, and it's largely based on that Yanez fight. And I suppose the Journey Newsom fight. Like he just buzzsawed right through Newsom. He tried to buzzsaw through Yanez. Works on a lot of guys. Doesn't work on Yanez. He fights his way back into it. Tony Kelly, meanwhile, I think, I just don't know that he's going to be able to turn the tide if he's down two rounds. You know, if 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 this kid can just win those first two rounds and not get finished, I don't know that Tony Kelly's that guy that's going to drag you to deep bars and put you away. So, give me Randy Costa. Yeah, that all makes sense. I think there's a, probably a decent live betting opportunity because yeah, Costa fell off a damn cliff. Well, he landed uh, 50, 58 or so strikes in round one, 46% clip. All power strikes. All, all power strikes. Didn't put him away. And when he didn't, like, he he was a different man in round two. Like, he 
Yeah. Or, or it was kind of a tale of two fighters because like Yanez came out round two and he looked like a completely different fighter too. Um, yeah, I'm not. I I'm not, I don't know if Randy Costa comes out a little bit too fast. There could be a good little dog poke opportunity on Tony Kelly. Um, because I'm not sure Costa has showed us any reason to believe that he can maintain a high pace for three rounds. So, you know, time will tell. I'll lean towards Costa as a straight-up pick, but uh, more of a, a fight that I'm looking to bet live uh, from my perspective. And finally, the people's main event, Cody. Jillian Robertson takes on my girl, Cab, catch a beating. Minus 400, Jillian Robertson, plus 300. On Priscilla Cachoeira. What what are you thinking here? Yeah, yeah. So the line's off, clearly. I don't know how much it's off. Jillian Robertson is the rightful favorite. Is oh, she's, that she's the rightful favorite for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. Would I say that she's a minus three fifty? Would I say that she's a minus four hundred, which is what we've got around drafting sportsbook? Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. She's got this problem where when things are going her way, it's very swimming. When things are not going her way, she doesn't seem to take a shot standing particularly well, strikingly something to be desired. When she's at American Top Team, one could argue she's making a lot of overall improvements to her game, and the ground game's nasty, but she's not been at American Top Team for a few camps now, and there's almost a seemingly like regression to her game. Here's kind of ultimately what it comes down for me, right? When you look at Jillian Robertson. She scores takedowns in pretty much all of her fights, right? She lost to Miranda Maverick, but she did take her down twice. She's got the win over Pollyanna Botello, three takedowns. The win over Courtney Casey, three takedowns. Her fight with Sarah Froda, two takedowns. Veronica Macedo, two takedowns. Maria Buena Silva, which she lost, but she had a takedown. Molly McCann took her down twice. Emily Woodmark took her down once. Uh, she's got it's a, only a 47% takedown accuracy, but she's a wrestler, wrestler at heart. And there's not a whole lot of good wrestlers in the divisions. She's probably one of the mediocre mid-level ones at the very least. Once she hits, once the fight hits the ground, that's where she's at her best is her grappling with Cachoeira. Meanwhile, that's quite literally her kryptonite is that she cannot wrestle. It's been a massive issue. Does she want to, what's her name? Zombie girl, zombie princess or something. Very much zombie. She'll get in your face. She'll throw a bomb. She'll march you forward. She's extremely flat footed. She gives up easy takedowns. Now, you give her a pass in the Valentina Shevchenko fight because it's the GOAT, right? So, uh, yeah, she got absolutely slaughtered, but you know, that's to be expected, right? It would happen to anybody. The Molly McCann fight, though, she gives up the two takedowns and real not a good look here. I mean, Molly McCann's not really known for her wrestling prowess and yet takes her down with relative ease and beyond that is able to hold her down with a lot of success. And then her last fight against Gina Mazzani. Gina Mazzani looked awesome in the first round. Took her down four times, dominated her, and then gassed out. So Gina Mazzani's a career 135-pounder who moved down to 125, botched the weight cut, looked great in the first round, then gassed out. Had she, she not gassed the weight out... Cut, are you just making excuses? I was on catch-a-beating by knockout were. And there. you cashed a real nice... What'd you hit? Six to one there? Because you had her inside the distance, like by TKO. I am, I am um, by knockout. I think it was plus seven-something. It was a glorious hit, Paul. You definitely called that one in real I had time. Parlayed my, it my, my I'd actually question, bet it. Yeah. I'd bet that. And I had bet Giagos by sub, and I had parlayed the two of them together because Brad Tashchuk <laughs> told me to do it. That was a great fucking. Yeah, that was a great. Oh, I almost, I almost threw an f bomb there. I don't know if I got fully. No, but you, you, did. you may, you may have to, uh, you may have to edit that out. Um, 
man, the the play here is catch a beating inside the distance. I know, I know that's what you're going. I'm thinking. I, I've already bet. I've already bet it. It's like not much, oh, yeah, but yeah. it's like it's a it's a nice little sp- start the night off with a little sprinkle play. Toss a little bit of cash at it. Catch a beating. Like the one thing you gotta give her. She's got heart. She's not gonna give up on herself. She's tough. And if this fight takes place on the feet, she's gonna be landing. She's going to be landing. She's going to be landing. Well, she probably gets taken down and she gets controlled while she's down there. But she's, I mean, we made fun of her a whole bunch. And in fairness, yeah, the Shevchenko fight is like she was set up. She was set up for, for the, an absolute loss. And Keith Peterson, no, sorry. The ref was uh, Mary Yamasaki that night. He really made her be a warrior that day. And uh, she really didn't have to. They probably could have started, stopped that considerably earlier. Um, Is Molly he ref anymore? Molly Meepo Molly McCann was able to take her down multiple times. Round three, though, you know, catch yeah. beatings, all beaten up a little bit. She lands some strikes, and Molly McCann, yeah. they almost had to stop that fight because of her eye being all messed up. Cab, Cab is gonna fight for your money. I mean, we used to make fun of her a whole bunch, but now that she's made me some money. I feel like I owe her just a little sprinkle inside the. I, I mean, there's uh, there's another book out there that opened up a TKO line at plus five hundred. I saw a DraftKings sports book, probably because they know it's coming. They haven't opened up the props on this, and that's probably pretty smart on their uh, on their behalf. Um, there's a plus six fifty inside the distance out there, and one of the sharper books has it plus five hundred by knockout so i grabbed that plus 650 before it moves because it will move um cab inside the distance plus 650 does it win probably not but i i could definitely it, it could totally happen it could totally happen hopefully the crowd's in there getting real fired up get get the blood boiling in cab's body let's go catch a beating do it for the team plus 650 let's go that is, uh, that's fair. Well, we're gonna have to agree to disagree, but yeah, honestly, you've got the value on your side. She's a big plus money play. She's one of those they call her zombie girl, right? She's gonna fight for your dollar. She's gonna be coming forward, but she just can't wrestle. Jillian Robertson has to know. She has to know. Why would you strike with her? Oh, she's not gonna. She's gonna. She's gonna shoot for Take takedowns immediately. But God, she's I gonna. So. She's gonna have to do it. For three rounds. Her cardio's, and like, not ba- her cardio's not bad. Jillian can fight. Her problem is when you stuff her takedowns, her confidence just utterly gets obliterated. So Katuari needs to stuff one. But your your fighter's best weapon is they have a big heart. My fighter's kryptonite is that she likely doesn't have much of a heart. But uh, I got the skill. I got the skill, lack of heart. I hope she can pull it together. All right. Fair enough. Um. All right. We are... Just to, oh yeah, I forgot to break, say it off the top, and I should have said it off of the top. But uh, if you can, the boss man, I, I, let me let me pull this up. I, I dropped a little note in my DMs with Cody. That you did. Tell people. Yeah, I was told by Pat to tell people this reminder to tell people to help out the help out the show by leaving an Apple review. It helps out. I don't I don't know. He he does he takes care of all the business side of things, but. If you guys go out there, give it a five. If you're going to give it like a three-star review out of five, we don't want your review. You go somewhere else, pal. But five-star review, help out the show. It helps with sponsors and yada, yada, yada. Uh, We don't ask for anything from you. We always give away our bets for free, everything like that. 
this is how you can pay back the show is by going on Apple, giving the uh, the Dogger Pass podcast feed on iTunes, giving it five stars, leave a nice little review, say like, you know, Paul, I like that Paul's beard is growing in, or I don't know, say nice things about us, you know, flatter us just a little bit. It helps out with the, uh, the algorithm, uh, or, or so I'm told. So I'm just doing... You know, uh, the, the boss man told me to uh, to bring that up at the beginning of the show. I completely blew it. But uh, at least I'm bringing it up before the PRP, which uh, Cody is going to drop on you right now. Yeah, at least you got the uh, ad read eventually. Paul, all good. So we're going to go with Charles Oliveira, dog number one. Manda Nunez, Jeff Neal, dog number two. Cody Garbrandt, pending what he looks on at the scales. Sean O'Malley, Dan Ige, dog number three. Pedro Munoz. Bruno Silva, Andre Muniz, Aaron Blanchfield is going to be our dog number four. We're going to go Alex Perez, Ryan Hall, Randy Costa, and Jillian Robertson. So looking at four underdogs. Uh, also that Manny Nunez, Juliana Pena over one and a half, minus 125. That doesn't look too bad to me. Uh, obviously, I like a lot of overs, so that's probably what I'd go with. The overs I don't like is uh, O'Malley, Pava, uh, Silva versus Ray. I mean, it's going to end at some point. I don't know if it's the one and a half. Probably be under one and a half. So I don't like, obviously don't like overs there. That's kind of about it. I mean, I think the most of these ones are beyond that. Probably going to hit the overs. But yeah, I mean, we got 15 fights, four underdogs. So hopefully that's the right mixture. Beyond that, we just got to really get where the most confident plays are at. Obviously, Manu Nunes is a confident play. I would say Sean O'Malley at his, he's not going to be a top ticket guy for me, but he's going to be, you know, probably second ticket. We like Andre Muniz. Can't figure out why the price is not quite there. Alex Perez, he's going to probably have to be high up there. I like Ryan Hall. Randy Coster should be good. Jillian Robertson, Paul disagrees with that one, but I think we should be able to get a, a decent enough mixture of, of plays together. And then real quick, <clears throat> I'm just bringing up best fight odds. So on Friday night on that LFA card, Tony Laramie's fighting. He's currently minus 160. Uh, Tony Laramie's the younger brother of TJ Laramie. And I've booked this kid for a couple of amateur fights. He's the real deal. He's like the complete package. We booked him in a fight in a nightclub one time. He was like 16. His dad drove him to the venue. He, his fight went off at like 1130 at night. He was taking a nap on a couch in a dirty nightclub, in like the corner of it walks down there and obliterates a full-grown man. Like, he's a real special talent. He's battled some injuries. He's battled some weight issues. But he's, like, the real deal. Like, I think he's a lot better than TJ, and TJ is a pretty good prospect himself. So, minus 160, he's definitely a look. Other thing is Robin Black contacted me. He's con- he's uh, doing the Aries FC play-by-play. So, he was like, could you do my notes for these guys? So, I put these notes together. And Taylor Laplace, minus 450? I mean, that's a price against Wilson Hayes. Wilson Hayes is 36 coming off a 16-second knockout loss. Taylor Lapolis is a beast, man. He went 3-1 and one in the UFC when they released him. Why did he get released? I, I don't know. Lack of finishes, maybe. But he's been a stud on the regional scene. He beat Josh Hill, who's tearing it up in, in Bellator right now. And he knocked out Nate Maness, who's tearing it up in the UFC. Like, Lapolis is a stud. The price tag there, 450 not terrible at all. This Dagir Imovov guy, minus 650 it's a little bit higher. But this Abdul Abdurakimov guy, right? He's This is a promotion owned by Fernand Lopez, Cyril Ghan's um, coach, right? Aries and most FC. of these guys are right out of his camp. And this guy's right out of his camp by way of Dagestan. He's just like a mauling wrestler. He's the former Brave CF champion. Like, guy's a stud. And the price is moving in his direction. Minus sure, 800, but, I see. 
I mean, yeah, not, many they, not many books are carrying that. No, no, Actually, absolutely the only not. book that has it, I'm not allowed to bet there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I'm just saying, I think some other books might eventually wise up to it. And depending if you get, obviously the LFA one will be out there. Aries, I'll see who knows. In fact, in fact, there's like five more fights on this card. And if they pick up lines on that, like I had to do some dirty research on it. Like, it's it, the squash matches, the squash matches. Half of the card is at an MMA factory Paris. The other half of the card is from like West Africa, Poland, like places just brought into lose, man. Brought into lose. So uh yeah, I, I think this will be another fun weekend of mix and matching some plays together. And I'm probably gonna put some props out for this as well. I know uh Manpreet and I are doing the show tomorrow, and then I'll uh, tweet some stuff out on fight day. Sweet, sweet. And I'll just go over my place quickly. I got Nunes inside the distance, parlayed with Right slash Silva fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, that's the laser guided heat seeking missile. Um, pretty rare. Would be very surprised if that doesn't hit. I mean, I'm gonna do. We already have our shoey bet, but I'm gonna do two shoeys next Ooh. week if the laser guided heat seeking missile wins or loses. If it loses, I'm I'm I'll and if sorry if if Tui Vasa and that loses, I'm gonna be really sad. I'm gonna need two shoeys to get through next week's episode. So uh, there, I just upped the stakes even more. Um, what I'm going to add is uh, Alex Perez and Matt Schnell. Fight doesn't go to decision and under two and a half. I'm going to split my bet on those just in case fight, the fight gets finished in the last, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds. And, you know, there's nothing worse than like betting a under two and a half and like losing it by like 30 seconds you know, in the final two minutes of the fight. Um, Ryan Hall versus Minner. Uh, Hall sub a submission round two. I'm going to take a little flyer on that. Um, and you know, my girl catch a beating inside the distance plus 650 because YOLO. Um, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Matt and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.